Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Lit AF with your host, Sarah Cohan. I'm so excited about this week's guest. It's Tony Coyote Perez, and he's got a million titles, <laughs> all of which you'll hear. What is most exciting is that he um, recently wrote a book, and it's going to be available in mid-July. So I'm so, so, so excited to talk with him today about the process of actually writing a book. It's fascinating. Um, and hear a little bit about his background and how um, all of the kind of experiences that he's had as a musician, as a superintendent of Black Rock City, um, and also managing a bar have all kind of rolled in um, to his ability <laughs> to write a book and then ride the roller coaster of publishing, which I just found so fascinating. So I hope you guys enjoy. And I'm really excited also to announce that I am hosting an online storytelling workshop. So I'm rolling all my experience of improv and story storytelling into one. Um, I've hosted, uh, hosted one of these recently and it was super, super, super fun. So if you're interested in workshopping a story to tell to others, it doesn't have to be on stage. Maybe it's just to tell people in person. Please join this workshop. It's going to be on July 8th from 5 to 7.30 p.m. And that's Pacific time. Try to make it so that East Coasters can join. The class will be in English. Hopefully someday soon we'll have another language. (laughs) And if you're interested in signing up, just visit my Instagram for more information. Um, My account is Sarah, S-A-R-A-H underscore shines, which is S-H-I-N-E-S underscore on O. N. Um, and you can find out all the details. It's coming right up. I'm so, so, so excited. All right. Well, thank you so much, you guys. And without further ado, I give you Tony Coyote Perez. Well, hello, everyone. I'm so excited about today's guest. It's Tony Coyote Perez. He is the superintendent of Black Rock City. He recently wrote a book, which we're going to talk about today. He was a contractor, a builder, professional musician, and a long time ago, he was in the bar business. So I'm so excited to have you here today. Welcome. Yeah, like most musicians, we were also in the bar business. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh thank gosh. you. I'm so glad to be here. This is, this is awesome. I like doing this stuff. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited to hear about your book. I mean, I've heard the podcast leading up to it. I've heard several of your um, readings, and I'm really excited to now actually see the physical man- manifestation of about it. your work. <laughs> I'm yeah. excited too. Well, like, you know, I, I got, uh, I have two boys. I have twin 12 year old boys and it's been a four year project. Project. I, oh. I got the first, by the way, I got a grant to write this book in 19, 2016. I almost wow. said 19. In 2016, <laughs> I got a fellowship grant and I didn't realize how much time had passed. And uh, I went to look at the contracts just because it was com- finally coming to fruition. I was actually going to hold the book in my hand at, like within a matter of weeks. Wow. So I looked at the contract and said, 2016, good God, I've been at this for four years. <laughs> and my my boys, you know, uh, I think we're eight years old when we started. Wow. Now they're, 12. Now they're and, adults. Know, <laughs> yeah, now they're adults. You know, because when they started started writing it, they're saying, when can we read the book, Dad? I said, not to your adults because Dad gets, you know, high on drugs in the book. but now i'm going well actually they're 12 maybe they're ready (laughs) i read fear and loathing in las vegas when i was 12 or 13 or something like that so they're ready they're totally ready i love it so it took long enough and they've been watching me go up the back step to to write this thing 
night after night and go, how long does it take to write a book, dad? You know, I said, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's, will someone tell me? <laughs> Somebody tell me. <laughs> Is this too long? So, so it's finally going to be on our hands within a couple of weeks here. And yeah, we're going to pop some champagne for sure. Yes. Well-deserved. Yeah. So yeah. exciting. Well, tell us about the book. So what's the title? What is it about? When is well, it about the title is Coyote Knows, but uh, that's only because I'd ri- written a, a column, started reading, uh, writing a column for the DPW years ago. Like back in 2001, I started writing a column just to co- keep everybody uh, abreast, it's sort of a gossip column. And, <laughs> and for those of you that don't know or that are not familiar with Burning Man <laughs> oh. Culture, DPW stands for? It's the Department of Public Works, which is essentially... The name of the book is called Built to Burn, mm-hmm. and it's Tales of the Desert Carnies of Burning Man. Love and it. when I try to explain my vocation to people who are on the peripherals that don't really know a lot about Burning Man, but just so I hear you work for Burning Man, what is exactly you to do? And I say, well, I'm the superintendent of the city. Uh, I do the layout and the survey of the city, and I set up, uh, I set up the infrastructure. Essentially, uh, we build a trellis for which the boughs of the branches of the community grow through, this type of thing. I'm trying to yeah. use all these metaphors. And you get, the, you get the sort of a lost look in their face. And then I say, well, we're the carnies. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I get it now. You're Why did you start with that? <laughs> yeah. And so I decided to use that in the title of the book is Tales of the Desert Carnies of Burning Man. <laughs> so essentially, we're the first ones out there and the last ones to leave. Wow. That's a lot of so, time. And so uh, the book was Coyote Knows for a while, but uh, my editor, Stuart Mangrum, came by and said, you know, uh, we all understand what coyote knows means, but if you got a book sitting on a bookshelf that says coyote knows, people are going to think it's like maybe a, a wilderness book or maybe Native American <laughs> or something like that. And Which so, it could be all of those, actually. Yeah, it could be all, yeah. And so he said, you need to change a title. You know, that's, I love it when your editor, the first thing they tell you is you got to change the title of your book, you know. And so uh, Mike Garlington, who's uh, one, of, does one, of the, uh, uh, one of the artists that comes out to the playa, he does a lot of the temples. He said, well, why don't you call it built to burn? Because that's what we do. We build things and burn things. And, and it's from the builder's perspective. The book is from the blue collar, essentially the working man behind the scene and the, and the stripe that we went through while the, while the city was trying to survive back in the late 90s. And wow. so the title became built to burn. Oh, I love that. He's spot on. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> you never know what that title's going to come from, you know. Yeah, oh, totally. And then you never know when. It, well, maybe you, did you know it was right right away, or were you? Oh, like, he certainly eh. said that. I, I stopped talking and went. Well, there it is. <laughs> oh, I love those moments. That was oh, easy. <laughs> you know? Where have you been this whole time, Mike? Yeah. So I went back to Stuart the next day. I said, "How about built to burning?" He goes, "Now that's a title. Let's go with it." Yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's amazing. So when will Built to Burn be available? Well, uh, it's right now it's been uh, like the rest of the wonky world right now, uh, which is uh, tragic and exciting and, and, and really frustrating and exhilarating at the same time. But the, the State of the Union is really a lot, at a lot of unrest. And so it's affecting all aspects of our world, including the printing people. And so the, the printers are, they're being delayed because of COVID-19. And so we're still haven't come up with a date yet because they're backed up and there's reasons, uh, which we don't really need to get to, but I'm sure materials are involved and just the, everybody's businesses are on, on end right now. Yeah. And so uh, it's, a, uh, it's just a matter of weeks. Our, yeah. our original, uh, original uh, release date was set for June 5th, 
But then a lot of things happened on June 5th and we didn't really want to, I didn't feel that I wanted to release a book when I was outraged by what was going on on our, in our country and in our world. And uh, I wanted to step back and, you know, it was, it just didn't seem the right time to put out a a book at all. Yeah. And because everybody was so enraged, myself included. Yeah. And so we let it sit for a minute. And uh, then of course uh, the pandemic was taking hold of everything and, and changing all of our lives. And so uh, then the release date became early July, and now it's looking around there. Maybe uh, we're going to do another podcast like mid-July. So I'm thinking early July to mid-July is when it's going to be coming out. And if it doesn't go by then, then I don't know what I'm going to (laughs) do. He's going to print it off the Xerox. (laughs) Yeah, you know, drop it from helicopters or something. I don't know. Hand it out. (laughs) Wow, what a journey you've been on. Oh, my God. Okay, so I feel like publishing is one subject that I am so excited to get into because I've watched you on this part of the journey. But let's go back to the beginning. So I want to hear, um, what was your process for writing this book? Well, it started... uh, of course, from telling stories, as a matter of fact, in the book, some of the stories that I tell and have been telling for 20, 25 years, uh, in the book, as I was writing it, I realized that uh, there's one scene where I'm sitting around with three other campmates uh, in the very first campsite that we had that was uh, uh, for our infrastructure. It was the first time we actually leased a a parcel of land to create a headquarters, if you will, or a station uh, and it was the first time that we actually took a piece of land in it. And so at that time it was just four trailers and a campfire. And I started telling the stories of what had happened the year before. And uh, it, ha- it had to do with the chickens. And uh, I think part chapter, <laughs> the first two chapters of part two, all has to deal with chickens. <laughs> and and Pretty the problems, <laughs> yeah, and the problems that they've created therein. I mean, other people were battling the city councilman or the you know, and going to court to try and save Burning Man, and then we were battling chickens, <laughs> so, which was at, which was as uh, you know as as valid a fight. <laughs> uh, absolutely, especially when you're out there all alone in the desert. Yeah, but it's not the one that gets wrote about, you know. It, <laughs> so it's true. So, it's, so I was telling the story of the chickens the very next year and realizing that that was the first time that I would tell that story and that I would be telling that story for years and years to come. And that story eventually became a story that I wrote about. And also uh, I had been telling the story of my first 24 hours of Burning Man ever in 1996, everybody has their first Burning Man story, myself included. And the very and the first part one of the book is the first week that I spent at Burning Man, and the first two chapters are are the first 24 hours. And that story, uh, I was at an, an Esalen retreat uh, for for the senior staff, and usually I write poems for the retreat, and I had fi- I finally wrote that story down because. Uh, Friends of mine said, you know, you've been telling this story of your first day of Burning Man forever. You should probably write it. <laughs> and so I said, all right, I'll write the story. And, and I wrote it down. And that year they had a talent show at Esalen. And I got up and instead of reading, reading a poem, I wrote the 20 minute story. I read the 20 minute story and it, it was wildly received. Everybody loved it. 
Yeah, I was actually pretty floored by it because I did, you know, writers seldom know if they're any good or not. <laughs> so true. How do you and get usually, feedback? <laughs> yeah, and, and usually they think they suck, which Aww, a lot of time. It's true. You know? And so I was kind of blown away that it was so well received. And about a week later, I was called into the Burning Man office before I worked there full time. And they said, well, we have a fellowship and we'd like to award you a grant to finish to finish the story and to write your book. Amazing. And you didn't even apply. They came to you. No, they they, uh, they called me into the office and said, we want you to finish your story. This We think it's a very strong part of Burning Man history. We think that it's uh, uh, from a perspective that has seldom uh, been considered. And uh, we think that it really captures our struggles. Mm. And so uh, I just said, all right. And. So in the actually writing this, writing the book, uh, I had been capturing stories for over 20 years and I, I had lists and lists of them, but I had never really created a narrative or an arc of a story mm. that didn't really have a plot. And uh, as we all know, books have to have a narrative. Otherwise, it's just vignettes. Right. And so uh, I, I said, well, I don't really know what this book is going to be about. And uh, one of my really good friends said, uh, the way you find out sometimes what something is about is to write it. And in the process of writing it, you will find out what it's about. And that's pretty much how this book got written. It, it's all the stories that I collected really was like a jigsaw puzzle. And I just dumped all the pieces out onto the floor and started assembling them. Wow. And, and as I assembled them, the, uh, the larger picture started to form. And towards the end of the book, I realized what the whole book was about, which means, which meant I had to rewrite the book. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. You have extra work to yeah. do. <laughs> yeah. And even, even when it finally went over to the editing process with Stuart, uh, Stuart Mangrum, who is in, uh, the head of the Philosophical Center, which we'll talk about in a little bit of Burning Man. Uh, he came back to me and said, part three uh, needs to be written, rewritten. <laughs> <laughs> because it's not adding to the narrative. And, and so we found out that the story is actually three stories in one. Mm. And all three of them are uh, the old-fashioned hero's journey. Mm. And, and which is uh, the hero's journey is uh, it starts out with the unrest. The person doesn't like the situation they're in. They're trying to find something better. They venture into the world. They, uh, they go through cataclysmic events and uh, existential uh, crises because of bad bad choices they make and then in the end they they have um, uh, awakenings and redemption and it furthers their life and and uh, they go and they, the phoenix rises from the ashes so that's essentially the old uh, aristotle came up with that a thousand some years ago two thousand years ago and that storyline is still go, is still a strong plot so that happened with me personally in the book it happens with the event itself goes through a hero's journey and also the forming of the Department of Public Works, uh, of which uh, I'm a, I sit on the board and it's still the, the carnies that set it up. The forming of the Public Works is also hero's journey. So there's three, three uh, narratives that run through the whole story and, and it all ties together in the end, of which I didn't know how it was going to end until I ended it. <laughs> <laughs> and I've had other authors say, First thing you need to do when you write a book is know how it's going to end. And I went, oh, well, I, all right. And so it, it, to, to ruin it for everybody, we ended it. The book ends with us stranded in a lake. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. That's the ending. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. We're all stranded in a lake. Don't know how we're going to get off. The end. <laughs> Sounds like Burning Man. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> like Burning Man. Oh, my God. I love that. Well, let's talk about this ending thing because um, – <laughs> 
when I do comedy, when I write um, stand up, I never know how to end a joke ever. <laughs> I know how to start it. I know how to get to the thick of it. I know how to do some like good punchlines in the middle. And then when it gets to the end, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how did you figure it out? Uh, by being there, by putting myself there. Uh, that I think that, you know, most writers would tell you, you need a writing room, a place to concentrate, a place to be able to sequester yourself a bit. Because uh, I found that writing is uh, a great percentage of writing is just sitting and listening to your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And, and really just, it's a time machine of sorts where you have to just, it takes time to peel, peel away the layers and go back into your memories and really relive what it was like, what it smelled like, what it felt like, how you, how, with the emotions you're feeling. You know, I, the book ends with me sitting in a trailer by myself in the middle of the night in the middle of the lake. Stuck in the and, middle of the lake. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but I'm not upset, you know. And that's the point of the story is because we had uh, we had solidarity at that point. We we had we knew that we were going to be able to get ourselves out of the jam. Oh wow! And so uh, it's uh, as far as uh, nailing a punchline or anything. Uh, I, I don't know if I could advise you on that. <laughs> uh, but uh, just by living in the moment and just you know knowing what made it special for you and then you can and then you can relate it out from there it's all a lot a lot of my writing had to come from the heart because i didn't know where else it was going to come from i love that so when you were going back and like listening or kind of visualizing all of these memories do you feel like you had a different like viewpoint (laughs) sitting (laughs) sitting now inside a you know a house warm house (laughs) yeah well uh it, the very first page of the book says, this, these are the stories as I remember them, mm. which is somewhat of a disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the stories that I'm about, that are about to get published here, a lot of people were there. Yeah. And oh, they're going yeah. to remember it differently. And uh, like, again, I go back to uh, Stuart, my editor, who's saying, hey, man, this is your story. As a matter of fact, there was one of the stories in the book that uh, involves uh, a shooting ga- a shooting range that we went to in the middle of the night and we happened to be shooting full tanks of propane that caused huge explosions and uh Stuart was editing the story and as he was editing it he came back and said you know you forgot the part about the stuffed ball e- eagle that had propane tanks up its ass that that exploded <laughs> and i went oh, how do you know about that and he goes well i was there <laughs> <laughs> Is there and I remember? <laughs> yeah, you know, and I'm going here. Not only is the perfect editor for the book, but he was also there at wow. some of the scenes for some of these stuff that I was remembering. And he and at the end of it all, he said, "You know, this is your story, and I'm going to make sure that it gets edited so it's a nice, clean, hard-hitting story." Uh, but I at at the end of it, he said, "Just to let you know, I remember it differently." <laughs> <laughs> Full disclosure. <laughs> and, and the part that he had said different was uh, at one point the explosions got so large that uh, we all ran for cover because uh, pieces and parts of shrapnel were blown by our head. You know, oh piece of shrapnel nicked me in the ear oh my God. and, and uh, was uh, right by my ear. And so I, I, uh, I, I ducked down behind the truck door and ran for cover. And as I write the story, it's as ever. And that's when Robert Burke came out with a bullhorn going, what the hell? Keep shooting, you fairies, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it started the shooting again. And 
Stuart says, yeah, that's all well and good, but just to let you know, you were the only one that ran for cover. Oh, <laughs> damn. He's cutthroat. Yeah, wow. but, but he's going just, you know, we're going to keep the story the same <laughs> that we all ran for cover, but just to let you know. It was you. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the stories, they, uh, they manifest differently for different people. I did quite a lot of phone calls over the four years uh, with a lot of the old gang which was one of my favorite parts of writing the book actually is uh, was getting in touch with all the uh, the ones who were there the original DPW and the original Desert Carnies who were out there in 96 97 and 98 and uh, they really did uh, remember the stories in in some ways completely different uh, completely opposite the memories of weird funny thing mm. and so uh, I I uh, changed a lot of it but a lot of it I just kept to my memories because that's you know that's where that's where the heart lives and that's what that's how it became real for me right and so you know and you never let the facts get in the way of a good story no that's that's not it's it's <laughs> it's actually you uh, it first. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not the first person to say that but the, the the category of the book is called a creative nonfiction. it's a it's a voice-driven memoir Mm. And uh, creative nonfiction means that it's uh, it is a true story told creatively, and so we'll just yeah. leave it at that. I love that you have yeah. so many from the readings that I've heard, and I'm sure the stories have changed a lot <laughs> based <laughs> on the rewrites <laughs> and the editing. Um, but you have so many um, amazing characters that you, yeah. especially when you're reading, you just like do the voices, and it's so good. <laughs> um, but I'm so curious, like, how do you put together the, these? I mean, your descriptions are amazing. I just oh, thank you there when you're writing. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> so what's your secret to kind of writing these bit larger than life characters besides the fact well, that they are real? <laughs> well, that's a thing is when you're writing somebody about a, a, a character like Flash, you know, Flash really is that way, you know, and it doesn't, it was a very small leap to be able to impersonate. Uh, you know, hey buddy, what are you doing? You gotta come over here, help me out, you know? And that's pretty much what he talks to. As a hundred percent. This is yeah. literally how he talks. <laughs> And the first time that we did a podcast about three years ago was the first taste that Flash that anybody got of me impersonating Flash. Or there's several other characters like Pepe uh, Pepe Ozan was very good to meet you, you know. <laughs> and uh, Chico is uh, from uh, from a barrio in Brazil, you know. And he's like, uh, their their meat is like assholes, like they are, you know. And so. Uh, I couldn't do Jason though. We're gonna have to bring Jason to do Jason because I couldn't oh, get a Jason voice. Yeah. Wow. We might have. We might have to. He lives right across the street from me, and I'm going. You know, we're doing this podcast. You want to be Jason because I can't do your voice. And he's like, Oh, we can try that. <laughs> he's uh, open, of course. <laughs> but uh, Flash finally got wind that I was trying to impersonate him, and so uh, naturally he was like, "What's going on here? I gotta hear this." You know, he's not gonna let somebody impersonate him without his okay. And so uh, he came over to my house. We, Flash and I have been friends for 25 years. I hear you've been trying to do some podcasts. <laughs> so I played, I played the podcast for him and he went, uh, okay, that's okay. Yeah, all right, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> As if you needed his approval. <laughs> but I kind of did, you know, just for my own conscience. That's true, that's true. You know, I, oh, I, so I don't want to make an enemy out of this stuff and, and then the stories are there, you know, the stories are fantastical anyway. And these, I really didn't have to stretch it far because it really was crazy times. There was a couple of characters that uh, I combined two or three characters into one person. Mm. 
For instance, I'm not sure if Pierre Pressure actually wore the clown suit. I think that was Ed the Clown that wore the clown suit, but I couldn't, uh, I had to condense some of the characters. So I'm sorry, Pierre Pressure, but in the book, you were wearing a clown suit. <laughs> it's like, okay, maybe. <laughs> but, you know. Not too far from the truth, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I did condense a few characters together, but, you know, this, it was all, it's all in good nature. I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, badmouth anyone or, or, Tell I, I didn't want any wicked stories in there. There's some serious, serious moments that we have where you know we we definitely had to learn our lessons the hard way out there. But I, I didn't really want it to be any any meanness in the book. I just wanted mm. it to be our our good times and our, our craziness that happened and the 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 links we had to resort to to be able to put this damn city on without anything with with almost zero resource and still be able to produce Black Rock City in such crazy times. Wow. That's so inspiring. And who better to tell the story? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love it. Okay. So you finished writing the book. You've done a bunch of editing. Yeah. Well, you want to talk about the editing process? Well, that it takes five times as long as writing the book. (laughs) And you realize that you you really have to write four books in order to get one book's worth. I think any writer will tell you that. So there's thousands of words end up on the floor. But that, that's to be expected. A lot of people that were giving me advice from the start who had gone, who had been authors before said, don't worry about it. Just write it. It's going to be fat and full of words and full of crap. And, and you're going to have to take most, a lot of it away. And you're going to have to just uh, not fall in love with any particular scene. I, you know, I did fight for a few scenes. So mm-hmm. no, that one really, but you have to justify it and you have to make sure it's part of the narrative and it's going to further the story. And there's a, there's a couple scenes in there that are in there just for the sake of being there. But most any movie or storybook has scenes don't don't really make any difference why they're in there, but they're just in there. Right. And but uh, they're crazy stories. I said I just want to leave that one in, you know. But the the editing process, uh, I self edited for a while. I I got a lot of help from a really good friend of mine named Astra Johnson. She's a was a college. Uh, I knew her from way back, and she went and became a writer and came back and helped me originally. And then I started to, the more you help yourself, people will want to help you. Mm. You have to be involved in your own rescue. You can't just throw your hands up and say, somebody come help me. That's such good advice for <laughs> everything. <laughs> yeah. You got to get out there and, and start banging your head, you know, and, and uh, if you really are earnest and open for suggestion, mm-hmm. you know, you also have to be able to kiss things goodbye, you mm. know, and it's so uh, hard. I wrote this whole poem that went into the book and Stuart's like, uh, the poem's got to go. Oh, <laughs> got wrenching. And, and I went, okay. <laughs> At that point, how far along in the editing process were you? <laughs> you know, for, in, the, in the thick of it, you know? You were like ready and to, I was, ready to I was go. really proud of the poem. I thought it was great. I thought it was pretty good, you know? <laughs> but I certainly didn't throw the poem away. There's the, an entire volume of files in my computer. Of, it's, it's called the Scrap Heap. You know, and those are future books themselves. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. You know, that poem will come out somewhere down the line. It was about Jim Mason's ice ball, which uh, (laughs) (laughs) which is a whole other story. (laughs) I don't even know who or what that is. Well, you'll have to read the book. (laughs) It was one of the art projects in 97. It was a it was the fail slash success. And that's why I put the story in is because that's what Burning Man is. Fail slash success. Yeah. hundred (laughs) percent. Yeah. Burning Man's a bad idea. Let's just start with that. It's a bad idea that keeps going. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> so good. <laughs> so um, I had a question about the editing process. Tips for letting go. How what? <laughs> how long did it take for you to be okay with it? Uh, right away, actually, uh, because wow. because you have to keep your eyes on the on the larger project uh, of what you're really trying to accomplish. That's one thing that I think an editor his his most important job is is the altitude. And when you're writing a book, that's one thing I put in the acknowledgments. When I was acknowledging Stuart, I said, thank you for giving a voice of altitude when I was hacking away in the jungle. Mm. And book writing a book really is you're in the jungle hacking away and, and you have, you know, you no idea which way is what. And you need somebody to come in with fresh eyes at 10,000 feet looking at the whole story. Right. And once you trust that person and keep reminding yourself that that the project as a whole has to really uh chime then it's easier to get way of uh, get get rid of or to let go of hard fought for stories mm. but the thing is you're not really letting go you're just putting them on file they will mm. come back you know it's you put them in the bone closet and those bones will eventually make a skeleton Mm, and and for that. a whole yeah for a whole other book you know so a lot of people think oh you know it didn't make the book and then it, it, it it's just going into dust no it's it's all you, I never throw anything away it all yeah. it all gets gets saved that's yeah. for sure oh I love that I hate I hate wasting time yeah, I hate know? redoing things I hate um anything that's like unused that I've actually worked on so I love that approach of like it's never wasted. <laughs> No, it's no, going I, to the boneyard. Well, I, I can hear my grandmother's voice now. You know, she, we grew up in the depression, you know, <laughs> nothing gets wasted. Nothing gets wasted. I try to tell that to my 12 year olds nowadays is my grandmother be hitting you with a spoon right now. You just threw that in the garbage disposal. God damn it. <laughs> oh, the joys of twins. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It didn't taste just right. It's, <laughs> They don't even know. They know. Oh my gosh. Um, okay, so you finished the book. That's kind yeah. of where I met you in this process, I think. And oh. then you started looking for a publisher. And I would yeah. love to hear how that worked from start to finish. <laughs> that world. Oh, well. Uh, as, uh, as it said, I think you said in the introduction that I was a musician for a while. And in my 20s and mid-30s, uh, I was a professional. Uh, I traveled with a band for the longest time called the Dynatones. And the Dynatones had done what uh, many, many other bands have done, which has become almost famous. <laughs> and how many people have that story to tell where, you know, if I could drop names, my last show with the Dynatones, we were opening for Hall & Oates. We were wow. almost famous. We, play, we were playing the stadiums. We had a major label contract with Warner Brother Records. Uh, we had a, a couple songs that were charting, and uh, we were uh, the, the jet set. We were starting to fly to our gigs. We had a road crew, wow. and we were starting to. But then we fell through the cracks, and we it was in the '80s. And uh, I'd like to know what our band would have done in the age of the internet. But in the '80s, it was much more of a pigeonhole type deal, where either you were part of a genre or you were not. Mm. We were not Flock of Seagulls. We were not the Thompson <laughs> Twins. Our, our songs fizzled and we failed. And but the but the reason I bring it up is because we went through the whole publishing process with record companies, mm. which is very similar to publishing houses in the literary world. The, uh, when I started trying to shop my manuscript, 
immediately I was reminded of the times of us trying to shop our demo tapes to make records. Oh, it, wow. was the, it was the same machine. It was a company that was trying to take the creative process and turn it into a marketable, uh, profitable uh, product. And so the very first thing that they look at is how can we turn this into something we can sell, which really goes against a lot of the artists, a lot of people who make art, it goes against all every, every cell in their body rejects this. 100%. And it's the same in the recording industry. The, uh, the biggest difference I found between the recording industry and the book industry is at least the recording industry would give a garage band a chance. Whereas the book industry is, if you mind my saying, is way more snooty. Mm. It's a lot harder to get in. You have to have letters after your name. You have to have uh, previous publications. You have to have an agent. You know, And if you send them a manuscript that's a little bit messy, they're not going to get past the first paragraph. Mm. They're going, well, this person obviously... Is, is handing me a piece of crap. You know, they don't really care much about the story. They want to know uh, how, how, where's your website? You know, where's, and writers that are very first starting out, especially independents, they're, uh, they're not, I didn't have a website. I don't have a previous publication. All I had was uh, a real good knack of telling really good stories that were authentic stories and had a great history. I got a lot of feedback saying, well, this is a niche project. You should probably go with, with the people that are Burning Man. And, and Burning Man in, in, the, uh, greater, uh, in the greater society is still looked at as this experimental community that, uh, well, we'll see if it's, you know, gets any legs. Uh, the last art project or the last exhibit that came through the Smithsonian pretty much put us on the map, but yeah. still not completely, not to the yeah. highbrows that are sitting there at Penguin and mm. Random House and Simon and Schuster, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're going, well, you know, let's, let's uh, let Bernie man. I'm not, they're not really ready to roll the dice on them. Wow. And, and uh, another reason is that because of the internet, millions of people are doing indie books and uh, they're all self-publishing and distribution is completely changed because of people like uh, companies like Amazon and, and other distribution mechanisms that can, that you don't really entirely have to kowtow to the big publishing houses to get the distribution. Now you can do it on your own. Wow. So, so this makes the publishing houses even more finicky because there's, there's a lot more competition. Mm. And and so they're a lot less willing to take a chance. And so I was running up against uh, roadblock after roadblock. And uh, I finally got some people giving me some very candid advice saying, well, you have a lot going against you. First of all, you have a high school diploma. And if you don't, you know, if you're, if you're writing books these days, the first thing to look at is to see if you have an education. It's, it's not right, but it's, it really is one of their criteria. Wow. And, uh, and also, do you have an agent? And to be able to get an agent, the agent does the same vetting process because they're not going to be, they're not going to represent you unless they feel that they have something that they can sell. Wow. And so it's, you go roundabout, it's very disheartening. Everybody's preparing you for, for uh, turn down after turn down, rejection slip after rejection slip. Uh, the, everybody always says, gone with the wind was rejected 60 times, you know. <laughs> And I got so tired of hearing of the goddamn Gone with the Wind reference. They say, okay, I get it, you know. 
John McLuhan was rejected 60 times. You know, great. <laughs> what about I'm not, me? I'm not Margaret Mitchell, you know. <laughs> Where's my acceptance? <laughs> yeah, you just need one. Like, and then I remember Ray Allen saying, it's just a numbers game, you know. I mean, it's going to be this, mount, this many amount of rejections. And, you know, and then uh, Andy Grace was saying it's called the pray and spray. Or, or the spray and pray, <laughs> spray and pray is a, it's a publisher's uh, technique where you just spray everybody with it and pray some return will come back. <laughs> All great techniques. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've seen guys do spray and pray in bars when they're trying to pick up girls before and, <laughs> and I'd advise them work? against it, you know, yeah, okay. Said, okay. dude, you, dude, you're a douchebag. Don't do the, <laughs> they don't know. do that. They, know. <laughs> they see you doing it. <laughs> so none of that stuff was appealing to me. And uh, then we said, well, you know, the Philosophical Center has been going for a while. For those who don't know, there's an entire center that Larry Harvey started that really keeps the philosophies of, of our ethos and our community on track. And they, he wanted to create an actual uh, department that, that was just focused on that, which was uh, Larry Harvey and Stuart Mangrum and, and Caveat Magister. And they did a pretty good job. They were the ones that came up with the theme every year. Well, the Philosophical Center does a lot of things now. They just recently came up with the Burning Man Live, which is a podcast, which uh, I'd, I'd be glad to invite all your listeners to come hear it. Yes. Uh, I'll, we'll I'll be on it. Yeah, it's really good. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be featured, uh, I think, mid-July on the podcast oh, there, and which cool. would be to, to help promote this book. And they also, um, they do, uh, they, uh, they have documentation teams. I think Profiles and Dust is one of them. And they're, they've been around, they, they're not a response to the COVID-19 pandemic. They've been in existence since for quite a while. But uh, in the absence of Burning Man this year, the philosophical team's uh, uh, mission became a little bit more poignant. And uh, it would, it it so happened that uh, they also wanted to start a publishing company. And I, I was going, well, you know, Bernie man and a publishing company. Well, yeah, <laughs> you know, and we I have an, an entire community out there with, uh, you know, 80,000 come to the event. Hundreds of thousands want to, uh, we, there's millions that know about us and want to know more about us. Yep. And there's, uh, and thousands of writers that have something to say. And the Bernie man is made of stories Mm -hmm. And so it made all the sense in the world for Burning Man to start its own publishing company. Wow. And I went, well, okay. And so they, they wanted to use my book as the test, uh, as the test model. Amazing. And so I couldn't believe my good fortune. And it, it solves so many things in, in my mind. First of all, the mission of a publishing company from Burning Man is not solely to make money. It's to further a community. Mm. and to further a narrative of that community and now you got me listening mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. as a, as an art as an artist and author that's what i want to write for that's right. what anybody what you know the whole, when you add the money scheme into it it just it it just changes everything really yeah and so uh i was going well let's do it that way and and quite frankly, I'm kind of glad I got some some of those rejection slips hmm. because I'm trying to think of what it would have been like if one of those publishing companies had picked me up and what kind of hell I'd have gone through as a result, what the editing process would have been like then with an editor that they just assigned to me. Right. Instead of somebody who had been at the shooting range. <laughs> right. <laughs> with their own opinions. <laughs> yeah, you know, and so uh, I, I, I think it's a huge, uh, I think it couldn't have happened out better. It uh, couldn't happen Amazing. for me better.
And so uh, we we couldn't come up with a name for it. So it's just Burning Man Project. Because uh, we, we uh, so what, what, what do we call this thing? I said, well, and Stuart's going, nobody reads that part of that page anyway. No. <laughs> you know, it's in this fine print at the bottom of the copy, you know, on the first page, the copyright page. So it's Burning Man Publishing, uh, Burning Man Project Publishing. There we go. And uh, so this, uh, this is just the first of many projects to come. Wow. And uh, there's also going to be, I think, uh, they're going to have a website that will be up soon that will be on the Burning Man website. My own website will be running up and soon, which is uh, for all those people. Let me plug it now, right? Plug it now? Yeah, please, yes. That's uh, TonyCoyotePerez.com. And easy, we decided, easy. yeah, we, we decided to put Coyote in there because that's how most of the people that I work with don't even know my name's Tony. <laughs> they 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 know they know me as Coyote. So it's TonyCoyotePerez.com. It's also my Twitter is at Tony Coyote Perez, which uh, Twitter is interesting. I've just I've been out of it for about three months now, and what a world! How's that, that is. going? Yeah, I'm so curious. <laughs> well, well, you and social well, media, it, I never picture this together, so I'm really excited. Well, it's everybody talking at the same time, which I uh-huh. grew up with that. I oh, perfect! You're ready. You, know, <laughs> you just bold six, every tweet. <laughs> six kids around the table. You know, I could never get a word in edgewise. The same with Twitter. At least Twitter, you, you can hit a button and your tweet goes in there anyway. I wish I had <laughs> Twitter. At my ta- I wish I had Twitter at my dinner table. You know, I could have hit a button at my plate. So, oh, look, at Kai, uh, Tony here has tweeted something, you know. <laughs> Tony, is that you? Do we hear yeah. you? <laughs> but it reminds me, it's it's the most aptly named thing out there. Because the first time I got on a Twitter, it really reminded me of the tree in our front yard that's full of zillion <laughs> birds all tweeting at the same damn time. <laughs> yeah. it's, oh, it's so tw- At least people are trying to be somewhat clever. You know? Yeah, and they're, and, very and they're try And they're trying to condense their thoughts into as few words as possible. So there's, unless you're the president, <laughs> that it just, that not even just, trying, not just even whatever trying. he wants. Yeah, just as fast as does, or his poor little thumbs will go, but we're Get not going to go Get there. It out. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's Tony Coyote Perez uh, will be, and, and uh, there's also going to be uh, the philosophical center is also going to have a newsletter that's coming out with uh, telling you what kind of, things are going to happen with people are going to be writing in it They're, They want to try a, uh, I think there might, there, there was talk of a literary magazine, which really personally excites me. That sounds good. I don't know if you heard it here first. There was just talk of it, but uh, I know that I don't know if I'm allowed to an, any announce on that, but that, that sounds so really cool. And I love so we're, that. So it is essentially self-publishing, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I, at this point I want to, I want to build a fire mm-hmm. and you start fire with kindling mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it's what's happened to my band when we were with Water Brothers is we shot, we, we uh, tried to hit the big market too fast and we didn't have enough, uh, enough stability under us and it just dissipated and we went on to a back burner and we weren't allowed to do with anything with anybody else for the next five years. And mm. actually getting signed to a major label is what ruined the band, to tell mm. you the truth, you know. Because, wow. uh, you know, publishing companies and record companies, they know that that the artists have big dreams of, of being, you know, published. They want everybody to hear their voice and, and uh, people tend to sacrifice quite a lot. Right. And just, and just blindly sign contracts. And get and, so excited and, about it. And, mm-hmm. and it's called, it's called Hollywood accounting. You know, you just mm-hmm. get screwed in the mm-hmm. contract. Yeah. I mean, Willie Nelson sold crazy for a hundred bucks. Oh my God. I hate that story. I, I, 
That's awful. It's awful. He was I living mean, in too, a van, you know? Uh, I think the emotions too of like getting fame or having um, followers is a whole yeah. other thing, right? That you have to deal with. Yeah. It's like you have to level up so quickly. It's really hard. Well, it's when my first impressions of Twitter was it was everybody's clamor. <laughs> and the big thing was to try and get more followers. There was actually people out there saying, you know, are you suffering from only 1,000 followers? Well, you can turn it into 5,000 in one week. This is what I did. <laughs> I'm going, Holy this will God. solve all your problems. <laughs> yeah. It's good, you know, it doesn't matter who these followers are. No, not at all. They're not going to like your tweets. <laughs> <laughs> Just as long as you have them. Oh, such a vacuum. So crazy. <gasps> so are you doing any other social media? I'm so curious. Uh, well, yeah, I've been on Facebook for years and, and Twitter, and I haven't really gone into Instagram just yet. But uh, actually, to tell you the truth, I like Twitter. Yeah, uh, it's, per- I, it's I perfect for it's, you. It's a perfect medium. I think it's it's punchy. It's fast. It, it's uh, you, you, you make a lot of friends really, really quickly. Uh, Andy wanted me to get into the writing community. And the writers, they were all really stick together and support each other. And, mm-hmm. and uh, everybody's got a new book. I'll, I'll put it on my website. You know, everybody's cool. trying to support each other. Well, so that's nice. refreshing. And yeah. Twitter seems uh, just like Facebook and Twitter. Facebook seems like your home camp. And Twitter seems like, sounds like you're at the event. <laughs> Perfect <laughs> so, analogy. <laughs> <laughs> so if, I, if I'm tired of the event to go back to my home camp, see what my homies are doing on Facebook. Go you chill know? at home for a little bit. <laughs> then when you're ready to go out. <laughs> go out to Twitter again, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. You're getting the DeLorean ready right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my art car. <laughs> so good. Okay, well, this is um, kind of a good segue. So you've worn so many hats throughout your life. <laughs> I said this in the beginning. I'm going to say it again. You're a professional musician. You're a builder, a contractor. You uh, managed a bar. So many good stories from that. Um, and you're a master storyteller. And um, I'm so – and now you're an author, right? You're turning all of this into a book. Yay! I'm so curious, like, how have all these roles shaped you? Well, uh, I'm glad you gave me these questions beforehand because I was thinking about that one. And uh, the one that I think, believe it or not, that shaped me the most, believe it or not, was my bartending, my bartending experience. And it was one of my first jobs. Uh, I started bartending when I was 17, actually, because the law in Michigan was 18, and I lied about my age. Nice. <laughs> so I was behind First a bar. First rule of life. Lie yeah, <laughs> about your age. You know, I needed a job, you know. <laughs> and by the way, the, when in Michigan, when I was 19, the law went to 21 federally and I lost my job after bartending for two years. I wasn't allowed to even be in the bar that I'd been working at for two years. Wow. Oh, <laughs> so, funny. so I had to wait till I was 21 to start bartending again, but I didn't. <laughs> I went to San Francisco and started bartending when I was 20 and lied about my age again. <laughs> there we go. Solve the problem. <laughs> But uh, bartending, really, uh, I'm one of the uh, longest staying managers of the DPW. I think I have outlasted them all, actually. I've been, I was with DPW when it started in 1998, and I had been managing the year before that. And I still manage for the DPW. And uh, I do think that one of uh, most of my managing skills have come from standing behind a neighborhood bar. When I say, and I mean neighborhood bar, not just any. Because the neighborhood bar teaches you so many things on uh, human behavior, on how to de-escalate situations, how to listen to what people are really looking for, what's truly making them angry, 
where the conflict truly lies, how to how to manage people, how to manage money, how to stay out of the drama, mm. all these things, all these skills that you really need as a manager that I really honed as a bartender. And the other jobs that I've had have all just been building blocks. I, I do think that the more different things you do, it just makes you, it gives you a lot more perspectives of the world you live in. And once you see uh, the same place from many, many different angles, it gives you a lot more appreciation and a lot more empathy for, for the people you're working with and the people that are around you. It gives you appreciation for different perspectives, a broader mind. And all in all, I think it, it hones, a, it, it's helped my personality a lot. It's helped me uh, uh, able to cope. And in these times where we have people just uh, intentionally pitted against each other by the people that are in charge, uh, what they're leveraging off of is that people don't see what the other side is like. And they don't have that empathy because they've only just done one or two things. And they've been told that that's the right way to live. Just mm. this is your job. Work it. Have some kids. Retire get the money and go to Florida, you know, and I never <laughs> wanted to do that, <laughs> but I've never wanted to do any of those things. I wanted to try a million different things. If, if you wanted to, if I wanted to uh, put on my resume, about what I really am is I'm a social Smith. Mm -hmm. I, I just wanted to be, I wanted to figure people out. I wanted to be, uh, I want to be able to hang with this wide variety of, of personalities and opinions and, and perspectives because I thought it was all fascinating mm. and now I'm getting to write about it. And so it seems like uh, all of these different positions I've had was always leading to being a writer. And uh, it's, uh, I think that uh, I'm, I'm 60 now and I'm just going to ride this wave out as a writer. I, I think that's what I was heading for the whole time. Mm, I love it. Well, the way you're dressed right now, like you're just ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, I say look the part, right? A hundred percent. Yeah, I got my my Tom Selleck dad sweater on and <laughs> yeah. a leather I, chair. <laughs> yeah, I should be smoking a pipe. A hundred percent. I actually did. Uh, I did get some gifts. Uh, these I got tweed actual tweed jackets with the damn patches on the elbows and everything else. Oh my god! For those of you who can't see, I'm was, rolling my eyes and smiling at the same time. <laughs> well, you know, own it, man, own it. And, uh, Absolutely. If, I was, well, I was doing some readings at museums, you know, and I was going. Well, when I was with the band, I used to, you know, hang out at nightclubs and and uh, and play music to single women. Now I do readings at museums. <laughs> But the caveat here is that when he does readings in museums, he's talking about mushroom trips, <laughs> wild yeah. nights where he doesn't sleep for three days. I don't even well, know. <laughs> well, one of the first readings I did at, at uh, I did it at the Hermitage Museum in Norfolk, Virginia, and uh, I had a, a a packed house, and there was a lot of uh, museum types that were in there, and a lot of people that would never go to Burning Man but were fascinated by it, mm -hmm. and so they had come to the exhibit and. There was an elderly couple that was sitting close to the front, and I was reading in the, the opening story, which is where I overdose on, on acid, which a lot of people equate that to a Hunter S. Thompson type of uh, a wild ride. And so I was, I was saying to the museum, you know, it's, it's got uh, drug use in it. And well, I said, well, you know, that's, that's the story. Tell the story, you know. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And so, and so it came to the part of the story where I actually dropped the acid, and uh, the woman in front her hand flew up to her mouth and she said, oh, my stars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Virginia.
<laughs> she actually said, oh, my stars. Oh, my stars. <laughs> <laughs> and that itself got this huge laugh with the God. <laughs> and then through the whole story, oh, sat there with her, with her hand clutching her husband's shoulder, with her other hand over her mouth while, while I took her through the whole acid trip. And she wrote, she went there with me, man. She, oh. she she went there with me, and she was You're the changing first, lives. Yeah, she was the first in line at the end of the thing to come up and talk to me. She oh, wanted she, she wanted to know more. She was fascinated and horrified, and fascinated yeah. all at the same time. But still, oh my stars! Oh, so good. I don't want to give away too much, but then the opening of the next chapter is this vivid, I think it's the next chapter, who knows at this point, it's like this really vivid description <laughs> of rotting flesh, cow flesh. Oh, that's uh, that's in the next chapter. It was the Aesthetic yeah. Meat Foundation. Yeah. Oh my God, the Aesthetic, what is it called again? The, the aesthetic, aesthetic Meat Foundation. Oh my gosh. They, they, they um, were the camp, camp that lasted just two, yeah, they lasted two years. Two years, I can't believe they made it a second year. They, they came back for a second year, yeah. <laughs> Oh, so it's like, it's really, it's like you have these like really intense descriptions, but you bring us there in a way where we're like, okay, yeah, I can get through this. Well, <laughs> it, it also shows that Bernie Man had, had a, a different threshold back then. Yeah. It really did. It, it was, uh, for instance, the Ascetic Me Foundation were some of the original warriors of the Thunderdome. Ooh. And uh, not to horrify people, but they would fight uh uh, not suspended from harnesses. They were suspended from uh, their piercings. Oh my gosh. And cool. they would fight, they would bout in this fashion. And I don't know if that would fly out of Burning Man these days. I don't know. You know, but that, but, but that was in 97. And uh, I was going, well, this is, this is pretty intense for me, you know, because yeah. these guys are, these guys are hanging from their back piercings and swatting each other with batons <laughs> for fun and for fun. <laughs> And, out and in I'm the desert on, and the, holy moly you know and uh so they didn't come back after that they started starting to get too corporate or whatever the words they were using but a lot of people really resisted our development and in, in our um uh our uh as as you see it just how the community started really working together and uh some people just didn't like the change they didn't like the mm. organization of it but i think the organization was a healthy thing yeah it, it, it allowed the it allowed the chaos to flow more freely once we gave it structure Right. That's interesting. You know? I wonder if those people are more kind of like towards anarchy and just found another event that yeah. resembled what they're looking for. Well, I, I'd said that in the book where it caps the chaos, it caps the explosion mm. and that turns it into an engine mm. and the engine runs a community. Oh, I love that. So, That's so beautiful. Yeah. So it's just direct, it's directing the chaos. Directing and the so, chaos. It's hard to do. You know, yeah, it's hard to do. And it, it actually, it creates a dynamic tension, which is how, you know, it's how, it's, it's how achievement happens. A hundred percent. Yeah. No matter how hard that is. Yeah. No matter how hard that is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So you are a master storyteller. I've had the good fortune of sitting at many lunches, getting to listen to you tell stories of family and past jobs and Burning Man and the times of past. I would love to hear what are your tips to telling a good story? Well, uh, you, you, you lose a person right away. And I got, again, there's another skill you learn as a bartender or being in bars. Mm. Uh, because when you're behind a bar, you only have like uh, uh, 10 seconds to hear a joke. And you have somebody who would come up and say, I got this joke for you. So these three guys go into a bar and you go, well, no, I don't have time for the three guys. All right. 
I've done for one. <laughs> I, I, I got not even that. Just you got a, a setup and a punch. It's you know. Otherwise, I got people to serve. You know, and so the setup's got to be there from the start. So it, it, well, the the opening sentence is everything. As a matter of fact, I was talking to my kids who want to get into writing. I'm very proud, Daddy, about that. They're actually that. making videos and stuff. They they oh. want to do. They want to be YouTubers, like like oh. every. Storytellers, mini storytellers. Story yeah. Oh, sorry, adult storytellers. <laughs> and so I was telling them the importance of the opening sentence. And uh, I said, well, if you got an opening sentence like one of our opening sentences. Uh, it was Jairish Mike's turn to shoot a bottle rocket out of his ass. Now, that's an opening sentence that says a lot of things. And it also creates a lot of curiosity about what you're talking about. Uh -huh. First of all, the guy's name is Jairish Mike. It's a weird name. This weird so, name. <laughs> how you get in, How do you get that name? And it was it was his turn to shoot a bottle rocket out of his ass. <laughs> in other words, they've been doing a lot of others had done it already. <laughs> and why was he doing that? And what was it for? And so the, that one sentence sets up the story. So you want to know what the hell's going on with Jairish Mike shooting a bottle rocket out of his ass? Why was he doing that? And so the opening sentence has to really set the stage. And then uh, a lot of other pitfalls that people were going with storytelling is there's a guy in the bar and he's going, you know, we went into this bar in Dublin and uh, it was this great bar. And uh, what was the name of that bar? Uh, do you remember the name of that bar in Dublin? Uh, was that one bar? What was the name of that bar? Uh, it, it had to do with Shamrock and going, who cares the name of the damn bar? <laughs> but it's so important. <laughs> you know, was it the four Shamrocks or was it the 10 Shamrocks? I don't remember. So, well, oh it doesn't God. really matter the name of the bar, just further the story, you know, <laughs> and also kind of have an idea of where you're going to go with it before you even open your damn mouth. Oh, this is advice <laughs> I need. <laughs> you know, and uh, also stories need to be told several times. You practice like everything else, you know, because uh, uh, stories get better. I've, I've told jokes that just didn't work until I switch something about the joke and then I try it again and now it works. Mm. And so, you know, you gotta, you, you gotta, you gotta uh, work them out. I, I, when I was writing the book, I had uh, a small army of people that I would call in the middle of the night and say, I just wrote this. What do you think? <laughs> and, oh my God. Uh, what did they say? <laughs> oh, they would go, Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Sure. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. You know? <laughs> and uh, I could tell when I was starting to bother them, but uh, definitely they're in the acknowledgments <laughs> of the book, you know, saying, well, thank, thank you so much for being one of those people that I'd wake up in the middle of the night going, I just wrote this. What do you think? <laughs> Vision holders. I love you it. Know? And, and in the process of telling it to him, I'd go, oh, well, maybe I should leave that part out. That's kind of, you know, OK. Well, thank you. Then I'd call him back another day. So I, I redid it. What do you think now? You know, <laughs> but uh, you can't really get lost in the details but uh, but the details you do give have to be the ones that hit hard mm. like you know his nose was the size of an avocado you know now you got an, a, a pretty good picture of what the guy's face looks like he didn't have neck his eye his brow came out farther than his eyes you couldn't even see his eyes that were disappeared underneath his big brow and his nose the size of an avocado you know uh she had the disposition of rebar you know you, you already get an idea of what this person's like you know <laughs> yes, very. Like I said, very visual. <laughs> yeah, with only a few stories. That's why I like Twitter. People are people are trying, being forced to say it with just a few words. You know. Yeah, really succinct. Well, so that's the only advice I I guess, and 
just tell them over and over again and relive it. I love that. Practice makes perfect. That's awesome. And have, and have fun. Have fun. Don't take yourself yeah. so seriously. Have fun. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. These are all wonderful tips. <laughs> That's great. Uh, well, anything else you'd like to share? This has been so fun. Well, I, d- I will say that uh, writing is, is discouraging. And uh, it's also, it's a very lonely sport. Mm. And one of the things that drove me nuts after being a, pretty much my entire life on stage performing, playing music, when you play a saxophone solo or sing a song, you have a crowded bar. Everybody is soaking it in, in the moment. You're playing that sax solo. You, have, you can see the people that are listening to every note you're playing and enjoying it. It's instant. Mm. Up here in my writing room, the cobwebs are about the only people that are, that are hearing it. I've actually, I, at one point, I actually high-fived myself. <laughs> I, I really liked what I wrote. Wow. So I jumped out of my chair and I high-fived myself. Yes. And I was like, and I was like, that is some lonely shit. <laughs> <laughs> did I just do that? Was that me? I did. did I just high five myself. That is some pathetic lonely shit, you know? God damn. <laughs> you know, I, I want to open the window and say, hey, you want to hear what I just wrote? <laughs> uh, Birds? Twitter? Twitter? Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> any singers? No, it's, it's lonely. And, and, you're, and it's so it can really get, you can, writers can be depressed sometimes. It's kind of depressing work sometimes. Mm. It, it, like it's been four I've, jokes that I told four years ago are finally going to hit the stands in a couple of weeks. It's oh four God. years and for then, the damn joke to come out. And the, yeah. when they read it, they're not even going to read it with you in the room. Yeah. You know, I mean, they come back and say, Oh, it's a great book. And you, you don't get the, I think Larry Harvey was talking about that. How, when you, when you hand the writing off, it's, you, you don't really get that, that blow by blow satisfaction of, well, I really like this part. And I really like that part. It's almost like you want to be standing next to the chair, looking over the person's shoulder going, what'd you think of that? Did, did, <laughs> did you like that part? Did, did you like that part? Yeah. How'd you like that part? What do you <laughs> think that, of that one? Did you laugh out loud? You know? <laughs> and so, so that can be kind of depressing because you just have to let it go, you know? And, and uh, it, it sort of reminds me of you got a ticket and it's your baby and you, and you got to put the baby in a basket and float it down the Nile. <laughs> you mm. know, just, just see you later, Moses, you know, Bye. Good luck. <laughs> uh, and uh, when you realize that, that there's millions of other writers doing the exact same thing and you got this big river of babies floating down the, down oh the Nile <laughs> and you're hoping that your baby distinguishes itself, you know, say, uh, 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 distinguish yourself down there. Uh, somebody reads you. you just know? know that I love you. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I actually got this, uh, I don't know if uh, many people know of Chicken John, but uh, he was, he's published several books. And so I, I asked him for advice long ago. I said, I'm thinking of publishing a book. Uh, do, you, do you have any words or advice? Because I know, and he wrote this email back saying, well, it's going to suck. Uh, you're going to hate it. Uh, you're, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you all your money. Nobody's going to read it. <laughs> it might even cost you your job at Pretty Man. <laughs> he was just always just Whoa. super negative. <laughs> and then he, he came back later saying, well, I was just doing that to, to set you up. I just wanted to put a spark under your butt, you know, I, <laughs> to I, do I it. <laughs> yeah. To do it. This is like a reverse psychology. Well, I'll show chicken John, you know, wow. but, uh, it, it was a very funny, I kept the email. So if the book is wildly successful, I, I'll say, well, <laughs> you know, here, chicken John, you know, 
you know, Thanks. but uh, <laughs> I think he was just trying to pump me up a little bit, you know, and he's, he's kind of that person anyway, you know, he, he's, he can be pretty caustic <laughs> and intent, intentionally. So just to try and rile you, you know, he's always, he's been a, a pot disturber his whole life, which is what he does. And he's <laughs> well, damn like good it at it. Yeah, it sounds like it worked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he hears this interview. I hope so too. <laughs> oh my god, so funny. But uh, any any advice I'd say is that uh, you are doing better than you think you are, mm. and uh, it's 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 easy to get to lose track of things, and it's easy to start looking at your writing and and micro micro judging it, and just it starts to seem like a bunch of crap after a while, and uh, don't let that dissuade you. Just keep writing. And a lot of times people don't know how to start. And uh, I'm going, well, I've, I've had pages where it wasn't until the third page of just writing stuff that I really started to get a handle on what I wanted to write. And the first three pages just got thrown away. Mm. But it took, it took those three pages to get to where I wanted to go mentally. And so just start punching the keyboard and start writing the words down. John mm. Curley told me that years ago as a journalist that does a lot of covering of our event. He's a <clears throat> Burning Man journalist. And he's and I, I watch him do it. And he just gets in front of the computer and just starts hitting the keyboard. And he says, yeah. I'm not going to keep, a, I'm only going to keep about a quarter of this. But then you, as long as you know that and uh, and you and you know that you can, it, that nobody's going to read the stuff but you. Right. And so you can go ahead and just be silly or stupid or say stupid things or whatever you want. You know, eventually, eventually the jewels will start to come out. And then when the jewels come out, it really doesn't seem like you wrote them. That's my favorite part. Really? Yeah. A nice sentence will come out and I go, wow, that that's a good sentence. Did I write that? (laughs) But it took 100 million sentences to get to that one. To get there. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That is refreshing to hear. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Scary, daunting, (laughs) but hopefully inspiring. That's a, well, uh, you know, not, it's not cut out. It's, it's not for everyone. It's not for everyone. It's, it's, it's sure. a hard, it's a hard game. It's a, it's a tough game. Very time consuming. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, another, another thing is, uh, you don't have to sequester yourself onto an Island for six months. You, you know, if, if, uh, if your, if your wife calls and says the toilet's clogged, go down and unclog the toilet and come back upstairs and go back to work. <laughs> don't, don't don't let it freak you out and for, for my wife it's there's a mouse there's a mouse in the kitchen that's usually the one oh. <laughs> if there's a mouse in the kitchen i have to drop everything and go downstairs don't eat <laughs> it's it's a little it's a little more intense than that but yeah <laughs> got it got it got it got it <laughs> oh i love it that's amazing oh well thank you so much for talking with me today i would right. love um to provide instructions for anyone that's interested in getting a copy of your book. Oh yeah. Uh, that will be forthcoming. It'll be announced on my uh, Facebook page, which is Tony uh, Coyote Perez. It'll be on Twitter, Tony Coyote Perez. It'll be on my website, Tony Coyote Perez. It'll be on the Burning Man website. It'll go off also on at Kindling. Mm. And uh, my website will have banners, uh, which will be, I think, Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, and uh, some other ways that you can uh, purchase the book. And uh, we'll when we when it when it comes time to actually make the announcements, we're going to be standing on the on the mountaintops, blowing all the horns. Right now we're getting all. Yeah, right now we're getting it all in order so that we can launch uh, in synchronicity. Uh, 
Amazing. And uh, we're, we're right now at all, we're just waiting for the printers to get to get to get it so that we have books that, that were actually there. And oh, right now, they, yeah, they're send, they just sent us out a, a couple final copies and I haven't actually held it in my hand yet, but that's going to be a moment when I'm actually holding the thing in my hand because my mother was a writer and she always wanted to be published and she was never able to, but she always uh, wanted me to be a writer. And oh. so did my sister. And, I, and I'm the first one of the family to actually get a published book. And so, this wow. Is a so that's, that's what they get for shutting me down at the dinner table. <laughs> <laughs> Finally a book. I finally got my word in edgewise. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so glad you did. I can't wait to read it. I highly recommend everyone to buy their own copy. Um, even if you're not a part of the Burning Man culture, it is such a fascinating book. And it's a wonderful lens into how the city is made. Yeah, especially the struggle we had in those times. Mm. All right. Mm. Well, well, thank you. And thank you so much for having me. This is, uh, I want to do this more. This is fun. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, please do me a favor and give me a review in uh, Apple Podcasts. That's an app. All you have to do is hit a star rating. I mean, you know, I would love some five stars if you're willing to give it. Um, and then go ahead and write a review while you're at it. I would really, really, really appreciate it. And again, I'm hosting an online storytelling workshop. It's going to be on July 8th from 5 to 7.30 p.m. Right, follow me on Instagram for more information about how to sign up. My um, Instagram account is Sarah, S-A-R-A-H underscore shines, S-H-I-N-E-S underscore on O-N. And I'll have all of the details. It's going to be a super, super fun workshop. Um, we're going to get warmed up together. We'll do some group bonding. And then we will work on how to weave comedy into your story. And you're going to leave this workshop with a polished story in your pocket and you're going to have a ton of laughs while you're doing it. I recently hosted one of these and a previous participant said about the workshop, great workshop to loosen you up and get rid of the inhibitions and doubts that come when thinking about public speaking. Highly recommended. So I hope that um, gives you inspiration to join and let me know if you have any questions. You can DM me on Instagram. Thank you so, 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 so much. And I hope you have a wonderful week.